Welcome to the Coda, a music podcast and the perfect end note to your week. I'm Rob Christofferson, and with me, he's the Gary Puckett to my Union Gap, the Neil Pert to my Rush, and the only guy to ever find his place in the Diary of Jane. That's right, it's Brian Hasty. Brian, how you doing, man? Rob, what an introduction. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, are you aware that Breaking Benjamin will be in my town soon? Is this why you decided to do this? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I perfect. want them. To, I want to establish the territory now. You found your place in there. He's I did. Still yes. find Benjamin Burnley is still finding his place in there. Uh, uh, have you listened to their uh, greatest hits, but like reimagining of a lot of their songs, Aurora, right? It's just an acoustic rendition of a bunch of their songs. Have you uh, uh, taken a chance to listen to that yet? I did, and uh, according to my listening log that I keep in iNotes, I gave it two stars. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was fun once, but never again. You don't need those kind of acoustic hits. Like, I feel like those mid-2000s bands, because a lot of them came out with acoustic albums, they did this to try to prove that they were legitimate, that somehow recording acoustically somehow just made you legitimate, and I don't <laughs> think that was the case. The only band that I think ever pulled it off was Bayside. And, uh, oh, that, interesting, yeah. And that cover of uh, They Look Like Strong Hands, one of the best acoustic covers of all time. I I think I mentioned this like I can't remember if it was episode two or three, but you know I need to do a dive into those punk goes acoustic compilations. Mm, yeah, we do sooner we or later, really and like pull out some nuggets. Yes, uh, absolutely, and and we will do that on a future episode down the line. Um, now, Brian, I th- I think we need to make an admission to our listeners regarding our attempts to infiltrate youth culture. <laughs> we are announcing to the world now. That we have both created TikTok accounts. We, yes, we, we both have. Uh, I You don't have any videos up as of yet, right? No, no, not yet. I'm still planning my first moves. I kind of want this thing to build to the point where what I come out with is either going to be huge or it's going to be a giant disappointment. I like the idea of, like, this is literally go big or go home. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, Rob, where can people find you on TikTok? Let's start with that. Um... Let me uh, bring up my TikTok uh, account because I don't even know what my username is. Oh, what is this? Ooh. Oh, and they started playing. Yeah, there's a... Uh, my username is at Rob Christofferson. <laughs> Real imaginative Rob. Congrats on... Congrats on... <laughs> that's about... No, that's, uh, that's a predictor for what you could expect from my account. <laughs> Uh, I went a little bit more imaginative. It, you can find me at ya boy Brian MTL, and that's Y A for ya boy. Because uh, why not? I know joining the kids, and there's some great content on on there already, folks. Like apparently, where Brian does his laundry, people get murdered. It's fantastic. it's really bad. I try to spend as little time as there as possible, but then I'm always scared that someone's going to steal my clothing. So it's a constant battle of whether or not I should sit in the darkness and hope for the best or come back up to my apartment in the adjacent building. And then if someone steals my underwear, someone steals my underwear. How big is your apartment building? Uh, so we are 10 units and the adjacent building where the lawn, uh, the washer and dryer are, are is another 10. Oh, yeah, I'd definitely be scared of someone stealing my underwear. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing too is that it's um, there have been issues where people have been breaking in and stealing the quarters from the machine. Of course, because uh, apparently somebody's got a pool tourney to take play- take part in, and you know what? You got to pay your way in. So. So the other thing, too, is that if Angelo hears this, uh, my co-host from the Double Density podcast, he'll make fun of me because of city living. (laughs) Yes, of course, because he's a suburban man. Far, far, far out. Yes. Like, how far away from the city does he live? He's about an hour out, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay, yeah. So uh, pretty much Angelo's living in a bunker. Correct, yes. There is like a, (laughs) it's a bungalow with a secret basement. (laughs) Yes. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, let's kick off some news this week. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move on out from the TikTok to the actual content of the, the type of show that we wanted to do. We'll, uh, we'll update you all on what becomes of our TikTok accounts. It's, you know, there's time, there's, there's room to grow here. So, uh, this is a follow-up story from our first episode. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has announced the newest inductees for 2020, and they are Nine Inch Nails, The Notorious B.I.G., Whitney Houston, Depeche Mode, The Doobie Brothers, and T-Rex. So, Rob, I have to ask you before we go any further. Yes. Uh, the lack of DMB in here. Are you okay with Dave Matthews not being included? I can survive for a couple years. I'll okay. give it, like, I'll give them three, three years of snubbing before I <laughs> write an effusive letter campaign to make sure they get in. I will somehow find all the all the members of the rock and roll hall of fame and i will convince them i love how this is a a high and low podcast right like uh, low writing letters high join tiktok yeah 100 percent um so the artists that were nominated that didn't get in are pat benatar as we mentioned dave matthews band judas priest Kraftwerk, mc5 motorhead rufus featuring shaka khan Todd Rugren, Soundgarden, and then Lizzie. Um, Brian, are there any artists in this batch that got in or were snubbed that surprised you? Depeche Mode getting in on the f- like very much surprised me, considering the people that did not. One hundred percent, because I mean, this is their I think sixth year being yeah, yeah. nominated. So, well, six also, times a charm. <laughs> like no, no Kraftwerk, no Depeche Mode in theory, right? So. Right, and uh, uh, crimes against humanity are being performed at all <laughs> levels here. <laughs> Just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I, I do think that we talked about um, how we didn't think the Notorious B.I.G. would get in, but here we are. Yes, got in first try. Uh, I'm happy for him because he does deserve to be there. For sure, One, for sure. 100%. I'm surprised T-Rex got in on this on this go around i agree i agree i it was you know i was expecting maybe maybe todd rungren you really thought todd rungren i kind of was I, based on the list and the way that the the academy tends to vote or the the hall of fame uh, members tend to vote i was figuring that might be the case well unfortunately the members let you down <laughs> not the first time though unfortunately uh, yes, not the first time. Apparently, Nine Inch Nails not gonna have to wait. Mu- didn't have to wait much longer to uh, get in. And uh, Trent Reznor, uh, in his statement, basically said that he was surprised that he got in because he feels like his band is overlooked more often than not. So, I mean, like they were very com- like they were one of the biggest bands in the world in the nineties. Like I, I don't see it. You know, 
Right, in the mid-90s, yeah. They yeah. they tapered off in the 2000s. Their output kind of dwindled a little bit, and their style changed quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't see it. But, like, you know, definitely deserves to be in there, and uh, I'm happy they're in there. Uh, Whitney Houston absolutely deserves to be in there. She should have been in there sooner, to be honest. Um, Doobie Brothers, I could go either way on Same. that one. I, uh, good for Michael McDonald. He's getting in the Hall of Fame twice, and that's a weird statement to be making. <laughs> I have a, I have a trivia question for you, Rob. Do you know yeah. the most nominated band that has never gotten in? The most nominated band that yeah. has never gotten in? Yes. And uh, we're talking about, like, 11 times. 11 times. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on this one. So it's Chic. Really? Yes. I was Sheik. when when I was like a, a prepping because you had asked me to prep for this particular segment, and so I wandered <laughs> down to the bottom of the Wikipedia page, and uh, they were nominated 2003, 6, 7, 8, 9, 11, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and never got it. <laughs> what the? <laughs> so yeah. yes, uh, unfortunate. <laughs> so do you think there are uh, any other artists that you can think of that have been criminally? left out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I have three, and I'm wondering if your list is going to be the same as mine. Okay, shoot. So I'm going to start with uh, uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, not on my list, but definitely one that deserves to be there. 100%. I mean, like, once you're letting in, uh, like, I don't want to use the word riffraff, but once you're letting in, like, uh, you know, some of these lesser bands, like, you're letting in a Joan Baez, but you're not letting in a Dolly Parton necessarily. Like, not to say yeah. that she's riffraff or anything, but I mean, like, in terms of, like, impact and as well as, like, songbook, like... Kind of hard to think that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, she is America's sweetheart, so why would you not let her in? Secondly, I got King Crimson. Yeah, that's a good choice. Definitely one of the weirder rock bands of all time. Uh, I mean, the thing is, like, if you're letting in Yes and a bunch of other prog rock bands, then you should definitely consider letting, uh, you know, uh, Fripp and, uh, you know, his whole menagerie of sidemen in. I mean, they're on Spotify now. They were off for, for so long. I <laughs> exactly. think that I think is Spotify the road for them to get nominated. I love the idea behind that. Maybe yes. that's like they're like you know like like a, a Trent Reznor made nice with the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago gets in. Now it's just like <laughs> the idea that like you're online now, uh, KingCrimson.com. You're in <laughs> KingCrimson.com. Stream our shit. We're getting right, in that. So my third one. Yes. Uh, and I and there have been rumblings that uh, they are never going to even get nominated. Is Motley Crue? Yeah, I don't see them ever getting in, just given their reputation, their personalities. For like, sure, I can only imagine what Motley Crue being at a ceremony would be like, and I don't want to think about it anymore. But it's weird because Guns N' Roses was inducted, right? So I feel yes. like it's of a similar kind of level, more or less. I mean, like, no one in Guns N' Roses has killed anyone, but... <laughs> That's very true. But do you think it's <laughs> do you think it's more about, like, uh, a, a musical merit kind of situation? I think there's a bit of it there, but, I mean, like, they were one of the biggest bands in the world. Some of their songs are super catchy. Like, I, I you know, I what is the basis for entry, right? I mean, I had Girls, Girls, Girls on a 45 that I got from my dad, so, you know... Yeah, I, it. They are. They were in our households in the eighties. There was no escaping them. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but like, listen, if you based on musicality, right, and the complexity of the music, if you're letting ACDC in, 
Yeah. You should probably consider letting Motley Crue in. Yeah, you've got a point there. Uh, so, I think, uh, for for me, one of the most criminally uh, excluded artists, Tina Turner, man. Oh, yeah. Like, are, are you kidding me right now? Like, she should be in, no, no problem. But, uh, you know, here we are, years later, and... Uh, I mean, like, as a solo artist, right? Because she's in there with Ike. Right, right, like... Her solo output uh, is incredible. Give her the recognition that she freaking deserves. God damn it! <laughs> I yeah, that's I, I would agree with that. Uh, Rage Against the Machine deserves to be in there. They made waves. They man, they they stirred the pot in the mid '90s. And yeah, maybe their uh, long game wasn't there, but their music was. And even that Renegades album is still pretty good, despite it being all covers. But like a lot of them on there are actually quite good. Like their cover of Cypress Hills, "How I Could Just Kill a Man." I was listening to that last week for some random reason. So, <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, the only song that I just don't like is probably the Ghost of Tom Jones. Yeah, that's not a great cover. No, and like you got to think like covering Bruce Springsteen like like that. No. No, thank you. <laughs> Pass. So, what do you got for your third? Uh, so, uh, my third person that has been criminally excluded from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think maybe it has something to do with the name of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but there are other artists in this genre that have been admitted, including including Louis Armstrong and Miles Davis. John Coltrane needs to be in the fucking Dude, Rock and yes. Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. His like he he was revolutionary in jazz. He needs to be in there. That is a great point. Yeah, I I mean the thing is like rock and roll has a very loose definition when you're letting the notorious B.I.G. in, right? Like yeah. Like, do we consider rock and roll in this instance like a mentality and not so much I think a specific to. genre of music? Because if that's the case, then rock and roll itself was what around like maybe two decades at the most maybe even not that much because i like when the beatles come along they do pop rock so uh i i think like your last true rock and roll artists you've got led zeppelin in the 70s you've got you know, I'll, I'll give um I like the clash deep, i guess right like, yeah yeah um they definitely had those rock vibes, but in the 80s, like, everything gets turned up on its head with uh, hair metal and the different type of rock music. Like, rock music started to go through this, like, evolutionary change to the point where, uh, yeah, a lot of it was punk or it was uh, hard rock. It, it was tough to find stuff in the middle. I agree. Really, in the 80s. Uh, I agree. And then you kind of had a little bit of a resurgence in the early 90s with uh, the bands that got lumped together in grunge. But um, let's just say we we got everything got homogenous in the 2000s, and here we are now. So, Rob, I'm going to make a 2021 uh, Hall of Fame lock prediction. Okay, do it. Foo Fighters. Gotta get in. Gotta get in. I double-checked, and their first album comes out in 94, so they're on the cusp of 25 years, which is like the barrier for entry, right? Yes. Um, So I feel like next year will definitely be a first ballot entry for them. Yep. And, uh, you know, may just get in. 
may just get in on I that think first so. ballot. I actually think so. I think that Dave Roll has like generated enough goodwill in the rock community and with the the ballot members that like I can't it'd be very hard for me to see them not get in on the first try. Yeah, and he's incredibly likable, so like there's no way that he's not getting in. Um so moving on, uh our next uh bit of news comes from Rolling Stone. Uh, record labels are becoming more wary of being sued for copyright infringement. Uh, since 2015, copyright lawsuits have been on the rise since a landmark decision that saw Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams fork out over $5 million to the Marvin Gaye estate for their song, Blurred Lines, uh, which is like, I'm good about forgetting that song in this decade. <laughs> Agreed. I'm, I'm really fine. Um, they claim that the song veered too close to Gay's 1977 song, Gotta Give It Up. Uh, this case changed the way other cases would be prosecuted in the future, and as this new model doesn't really require musicologists or musicians to be on the jury, which is very weird, or at least, you know, they don't play as much a part in this. now. For sure. Sandy Wilbur, who testified on behalf of the defense in the Blurred Lines case, states that, quote, there is a lot of confusion about what's permissible and what's not. Artists that aren't on giant labels that, you know, can afford to keep lawyers on staff are now purchasing errors and omissions insurance to protect themselves. These policies are not cheap. They run from $20,000 to $250,000 a year. So artists that do buy this insurance are now fearing to disclose that they have this kind of insurance, you know, because they don't want to be sued. So Right. Well, I mean, it's also like a riper for the picking, right? If you reveal your cards to say, hey, guess what? Uh, if you see me, you don't have to worry, then... Yeah. So I guess the question here is, do you think the decision in the Blurred Lines case is a good thing or a bad thing? So I want to lump this in also with the Katy Perry Dark Horse um, yeah. uh, lawsuit from a couple of years ago too, uh, which was uh, found to be against Katy Perry, right? So I feel like these are very problematic lawsuits in terms of like the judgments rendered because of the fact that like it's less about the actual content of the music a lot now and more so about the interpretation by which notes as well as like random elements of songs get viewed and i think like it's not a holistic view of what a sample or like a copyright infringement looks like right 100 percent. and uh uh here's another question that i want to sling at you here given the homogenous trend that music is heading towards in a more pop direction do you think that because of that you are going to see more and more lawsuits now i think we're going to see two things i think we're going to see a lot more lawsuits and i think we're also going to see a lot more um uh, ai created music that bases itself off of an existing database uh, knowing that it's not infringing on anything yeah because uh, yeah, we're kind so. of already halfway there right so right and it should be noted that the way that they try these cases in the U.S. is different than the way they try them in, like, say, the U.K., where the U.K. gets a bunch of experts to come in instead of the United States, where you don't need to have a trained ear to sit in on a jury and, you know, ultimately decide the fate uh, in any one of these cases. So I think um, and I think that points to a really good kind of indication of uh, these kinds of trials being less about the music itself and more so about, the, you know, almost the idea of celebrity being put on trial. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, you're also starting to see uh, appeals being won. Like, uh, I read 
Led Zeppelin a few, like, what, six years ago were sued by the band Spirit for allegedly copying the intro to one of their songs and using it as the intro to Stairway to Heaven. And uh, they initially won that case, but now it's being retried under appeal. So uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. But that's been like a perpetual case. It feels like it's like 15 yeah. years worth of like a, of, of uh, court motions and things like that going on. Yeah, the they're going through the motions, Brian. Literally going through the motions. <laughs> Uh, how did I not see that one coming? But that, that, that's fine. That's fine. That, that's fine. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess we'll just have to see well, what's coming the, down the pike one here. One of the interesting things, too, that the article, I think, mentions is the idea of the use of similar software now being more prevalent, right? And the thing is that, like, you can easily buy a producer's drum packs and things like that, right? So a lot of the sounds are homogenized because the fact is they're sourced from the same places. Yeah, absolutely. And this is... The advent of technology and and the way that technology affects the evolution of music and the way that it's been affecting the evolution of music, at least in the last 10 to 15 years, is this really homogenous sound that includes a lot of electronic music, a lot of electronic drums and uh, like EDM sounds, electronic sounds. So it's, yeah, it's really not surprising when the uh the means of producing the music is all coming from like very few sources i blame two specific people t-pain because he made a lot of his early singles on garage band using a lot of those stock sounds and soldier boy for using fruity loose which is now fl studio uh in order to make crank that so i feel like that was ground zero for a lot of this i really can't hate on t-pain because he's got a great voice he oh, doesn't I'm not, need to I, i'm not hating on him at all i'm just saying that the means of production by which he created his music uh were from like straight out of the pack a mac so do you think then like that he's a f- like founding force in all this like soundcloud <laughs> rap then um, so these two and then also like every single laptop dj in the world using for loops to to quantize things everybody's a an artist now brian uh, why why don't we have a mixtape out i don't understand this rob uh, we're going to collaborate and, uh, which will make sense once we get to the main feature of this episode, <laughs> but, uh, we'll collaborate and you know what? Um, I'm guessing by July new mixtape, we're Let's dropping it. it. I'll yeah. send you, I'll send you a TikTok message. Uh, I can't wait to, uh, <laughs> pretend to know how I can access it. <laughs> uh, 2020 is a little bit learning for us. I feel like. So, uh, moving on to uh, a little radio news here. In early January, iHeartMedia announced a series of layoffs centered in small and medium markets. The wave of layoffs saw approximately 850 employees without a job. They were given a severance package and signed NDAs. So, I read this... um, this uh, this is from a Rolling Stone article, and I feel like I need to read this paragraph for you. It, it sums it up so, so fucking perfectly here. Um, for other iHeart Media employees, the first sign of trouble came early Tuesday morning when the company sent employees an email announcing, quote, a new organizational structure. 
The memo obtained by Rolling Stone seemed plucked partly from a corporate culture parody like Office Space. It opened with chest puffing, quote, we are the number one audio company in America, and then slathered on numbing layers of business jargon. New institutions include the Integrated Revenue Strategies Group and Excellence Centers. Quote, our people and our company's most important asset, iHeartMedia continued, before announcing that a number of those crucial assets were about to be cut and inventing a new euphemism for layoffs in the process, there will be some employee dislocation. (laughs) (laughs) Some by geography and some by function, which is the unfortunate price we pay to modernize the company. The uh, the company has looked at other strategies for dealing with low-income markets, such as uh, automation and centralized hosting. iHeartMedia claims that no radio stations will be shutting down at this point, but the loss of localized personnel could be detrimental to low-income communities and communities that may not be on the internet, which rely on radio for news and local information. This centralization will lead to more homogenous content being played across the country. There's no stopping that. And could also lead to other independently owned stations following suit. Now, the um, uh, local radio has always had problems with, uh, you know, the larger uh, record companies and stuff when it comes to, like... Uh, markets and promotion stuff. So I kind of wanted to read you something from a book that I found a few years ago, and I'll tell you why uh, in a in a second. So All right, I, let me just, settle in. Let me settle yeah, in. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this has to do with uh, a company called WEA cutting promotion to local stations, and uh, um, there's a significant reason why I'm reading this, and. Uh, I'll get to it at the end. There's an unnamed quote. Uh, there's a quote in this from someone I'm going to keep unnamed until I'm done. But um, here we go. After cutting service promotional lists to the bone, WEA announced enforcement of a $2 charge for 90-day-old releases. One spokesperson explained, The policy is to prevent abuses or unreasonable demand on catalog. But we don't want to put the screws to radio people. This fairly diplomatic expression was more than countered by Ken Buttis of of Electra slash Asylum. He told Billboard, What we're trying to stop is the DJ at the Boondock radio station, who as soon as he gets records, gives them away to his family, and then calls the record company and wants more. Rip Pelly at the same label, stressed that the policy would not affect the larger broadcasters. Quote, we're still going to sponsor station giveaways and be involved in any promotions we were involved in in the past. If each individual DJ at at a station is the programmer of his own show, he's going to continue to receive service. It was quickly noted that the continued services generally applied to the highly competitive large urban regions. Buttis's boondocks characterization of secondary and tertiary stations was overly impolitic. Product service is a perennial sore point with programmers and journalists in the, quote, minor leagues. It is an obsessive topic of discussion at broadcaster conventions, tr- trade magazines, 
Letter to the editor sections abounded with unhappy media people, electronic and print, complaining about the lack of company service. This individual, who will remain unnamed momentarily, angrily replied to Buttis' statements, quote, Rural radio stations are the vagabonds of the industry. Many of us are starving for promotional product because, quote, it's not what you are, but where you are. Small market stations should not be fingered as the fall guy. If there is an overwhelming need to find a cause, WEA and many other record companies might look to the cities and perhaps internally to find waste, end quote. So, clearly, this these kind of battles has happened for a long time between large radio companies, large studios, large uh, record companies, and the local guys. So the, the quote that I read at the end for you, um, do you know who, I, you won't know who said this, but do you know who said this, Brian? I am super curious to find out who. It was my father. <laughs> uh, who is not wrong at all. I, uh, one of my favorite things to do on any sort of trip that I go on is if I'm near radios, of course, trying to find the local non iHeart radio station or the local X clear channel station and just steer clear of that and sort of find community radio, local radio, things like that. So I definitely agree that a lot of the waste that exists uh, and has existed at record company level um, is their own fault. Yeah, 100%. And I guarantee you it happens 10 times worse in the larger fucking uh, stations than it does in the smaller stations. Um, my father worked at... Uh, uh, so in the in the book, it uh, spells our name wrong, which is fine, because it's 13 letters long, and it, you know, Chris Christofferson, so spell it like that. Uh, he worked at uh, WNBZ for a number of years, actually, over 20 years, and... Uh, uh, he was their music director for a good portion of them. So, like, he would always have, like, promotional stuff sitting around, stuff like that. You know, he, they'd give it away from time to time. Um, but, like, yeah, just freaking ridiculous. So, uh, this, the quote that I read you is from a book called Tarnish Gold, The Record Industry Revisited. Um, it's a... I bought it used. It's a really expensive book, but the only reason I bought it was because there's a quote from my father in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really good reason. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good reason. But uh, so uh, I guess uh, the question here is, do you see iHeartMedia phasing out its smaller markets in the future? Absolutely. So uh, something I wanted to get to and something that was both mentioned in the article and that I'm aware of is in 2017, the FCC decided to get rid of the main studio rule, right? So the idea is uh, if you have an antenna and a transmitter in a market, you must have some kind of studio or staff near the location right? Yeah. of where the license is used to operate. That is no longer the case, right? So you can simulcast however much you want. Yeah, that's 100%. And like, oh man, uh, like... Growing up with my dad, I used to go to the radio station with him. I knew how, like, involved it was to do things back in the day. But now, uh, with these systems that they have in place, it's, like, it's terrible. I hate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess uh, the other question that I have here is now that they're, you know, cutting staffing at these in these markets... How do you think this centralized content is going to affect the music industry going forward? 
I think they're already driving people to streaming anyways, right? Because I feel like the bigger problem, and I think this is something that I, I, I'm interested in in a local as well as a provincial level here in Quebec, which is in Canada, just to make sure you know anyone international uh, is listening, um, is that they'll shuffle around a lot of slots in terms of, you know, especially for their, their drive home as well as their morning shows, thinking that it's a personality issue when you see the ratings dip. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's the format. Sometimes it's the music. It's not necessarily just, yes, it is personality driven, but I think the bigger issue at, at stake here is not understanding your audience and what they're looking for. Because as soon as someone moves, soon as someone builds a rapport with a morning host and you move them off like six months out, because there are two um, uh, main... Uh, top 40 radio stations here uh, in in Anglo Montreal and they have been trading hosts in like and to an insane degree over the last like decade decade and a half right so it's it's always following people on the band it gets tiring to sort of follow these people right so i think that moving forward a lot more people will adopt streaming as uh you know the cost of uh you know data packages on cell phones goes down etc cetera, etc cetera. satellite radio is still huge uh from what i understand so i think there's a lot of competitors on the horizon i'm not sure how they're going to pivot um with other assets because i feel like they they're steadily losing the radio war by alienating those smaller markets where it's actually as you were saying more crucial to have these personalities yeah and these smaller markets are going to look for ways to do things more cheaply if they want to stay in operation, especially among independent broadcasters. Uh, so they're going to go to more centralized content because it's much cheaper to pay for. For sure. And it's also easier to manage, right? You don't have to have someone on site at all locally. Right. right. Uh, you could basically just have an empty building. <laughs> yeah. All you really need is an on-call engineer. Yeah, that's that's really it for whenever the antenna goes down so which is which is sad uh so we'll end this particular story on a sad note so um <laughs> the the cool thing about um yeah growing up that way is like um i had my own radio show when i was 13 years old so uh there was a guy uh his name was george and he, i would just call in and we'd talk about you know really mundane teenage crap you know, whatever it was. I used to help my cousin who worked on Saturdays answering phone calls for like the uh, request. You know, it was like a dedications kind of like five hour block. It was fun doing that. Um, the radio station uh, that all that took place in is now an abandoned building and it fucking angers me. Of course. Yeah. Um, so. I think but the, you and I in different ways, like I was non-participatory in radio stations, but I feel like I grew up with the notion of radio as a, a facet of my life or even as like a personality Yeah, that I definitely uh, used, loved, and abused all the time. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, there's something missing from the streaming that you have at your fingertips to where like randomization is one of the most wonderful things, especially when you're talking about a song that came on at a specific time that you needed to hear it. And you know, maybe you were looking forward to hearing it like that's gone. We're never going to get that back, which kind of upsets me, but like I'll deal with it. I mean, the thing is I was involved in college radio and I assume some of our listeners were too. And I think that's a great place as well as community to get involved in sort of like those are the places where I learned more about, you know, local shows going on and things like that. So I think that's super important. And then uh, thankfully in Canada on the national level, we have the Strombo show on Sunday nights and where it's like four hours of playlisting, um, but curated 
by George Stromalopoulos, who has great taste and often has like guests on and, you know, uh, melds the classic with the new. So I think that like in terms of that is what is needed, I think, more than anything else. If you want to, quote unquote, save radio, even in a top 40 format, I think that's where you need to head. And that's clearly not going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. And the things that um, because of the way that radio has restructured in the last two decades, what you're not going to see is you're never going to see a rock song at the top of the Billboard 100 ever again. Never again. Yeah, I highly doubt we see anything um, of lasting impact like that. Yeah, there. everything that's going to be on the top of the Billboard 100 is going to be homogenous. It's going to be uh, popular pop music, which, yeah, that's understandable, but, like... I mean, like, there's also, like, this other concept that I feel like we can do an entire show on about the idea of, like, modern payola, which I do think very much exists in the back-and-forth trading in between the majors uh, for uh, space on these charts is definitely happening. I'm not going to get into it too much here, but I do believe that there's a lot of that existing, so therefore it's a lot of um, hits by committee. Yeah, 100%. And I think you could see that, especially in country music, where uh, their model these days is basically shoving the same song down your throat for so many weeks until it makes it to number one. Right. It's, 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 it's hit by the, you know, forceful, aggressive attitude. Yeah. And, uh, that man, that, that reduces like competition, man. And I hate that. I really do. I think it also leaves out the idea of an organic hit, right? Like I think Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's not going to be a lot of those going forward, which is kind of weird and ironic when you consider how much content on the internet is now unaffiliated with a major or even minor record label. Yeah. Um, Something's going to need to happen in the future. Otherwise like, like independent artists or artists on smaller labels, I'm, I'm sure they struggle, but like, What's going to happen to them eventually? Uh, are they going to be able to survive all of this? You know, like, are they going to be... Uh, I, I think, like, the internet has provided a lot of roots for a lot of different uh, artists, a lot of uh, diverse artists for people to listen to and f- that allow other bands to tour and stuff like that because... Uh, and, and more consistently, because I think what you saw in like uh, the mid two thousands with the uh, emo boom there is that a lot of bands would pop up and then uh, would dissolve within like three years about it wasn't a long shelf life for most of them. No, for sure. Especially if there's not a record label giving them touring funding or anything, right? Cause that's a traditional Avenue by which they were able to get out there and sort of uh, make themselves known. And you know, when that money's not there yet, because the internet and other forces have eroded, um, uh, a lot of record labels bottom lines for various reasons that you know aren't part of the majors then you know what are you left with nothing so you gotta go back and do a j job yeah so i don't know man i i don't i don't like this but i guess uh we'll, we'll see where it goes from here yeah i mean listen like uh, i heard was what in, in 20 billion dollar bankruptcy in late 2018 right and they've restructured and they'll probably restructure again yeah so it's unfortunate but yeah uh, but I mean, their CEO will pay themselves out like seventeen million dollars. For... Of course, that's the way it goes, right? Golden parachutes for everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll end the news section on a lighter note, though. <laughs> Brian, I think this is the greatest news story that we've ever covered on this podcast. And I mean, I know we're at five episodes in, but it's so goddamn great. This this story here. Um, on January thirteenth, Acon. The Smack That Artist announced that paperwork had been signed to launch a new city in Senegal. So, Mr. Lonely himself. Yes, yes. Akon City. 
<laughs> Akon City. According to Billboard.com, Akon City will be built up in a series of phases spanning 10 years. Construction broke ground on the 2,000-acre land last March, which is not very big. Uh, when finished, Akon claims it will also be the first city to ever run on 100% renewable energy. Akon City will be the country's first leadership in energy and environmental design, a, quote, lead city. The location is a short drive from an international airport, and best of all, it's going to have its own cryptocurrency, Brian. Fucking Acoin. <laughs> Fucking Acoin. Yes, you heard us correctly. Acoin. Of note, though, more seriously, and I don't think this is covered in the Billboard article, but like, uh, this isn't the first sort of endeavor that Akon has done in Africa, especially in Senegal. He has uh, uh, created an academy of like um, uh, kids who be able to learn about science, and also like uh, he has been a huge proponent of um, solar power and has had installations installed. <laughs> yeah. So it's just yeah. Kind of- so like, I mean, he's doing good things, but I'm just like. A coin? Really? <laughs> it definitely reads like a Mad Libs. Definitely, definitely reads like a Mad Libs. So, I my question for you, Brian, is are you going to be grabbing your passport and heading to Akon City in 2030? So, my wife's uh, best friend's husband is Senegalese, and I haven't had the time to ask him about how he feels about this yet, but the next time I see him, I'll ask him how do you feel about Akon City, and he'll probably have quite the heated response. Good or bad, I'm not sure, but it will be heated. Brian, we're going to need an update next episode. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping to see him, but we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of interested in a sort of like I was talking about this with a coworker of mine. I don't need to, I don't know how it came up, but in a detached human experiment kind of way, super intriguing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really interested to see what this turns into. Could this be the citywide version of Firefest? I don't know, but I don't think it will be. I think there's no. way more planning involved that he's yeah. already seemed to have done, and also like. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of hopeful that this actually pans out because it means bigger and better plans for um, uh, ideas of, like, taking back, you know, your area like that. Yeah, man. Fucking smack that. Listen, he just wants to love you. (laughs) He wants to see everyone in the city riding and grinding up on the floor. (laughs) So, you know how it is. (laughs) Do you think instead of, like, a Reveille, like, a horn, like, smack that plays everywhere? (laughs) man um it's kind of like how um if you go to like honolulu they have um his name what's his name israel i can't remember his last name that really big guy that became famous for doing that uh ukulele version of somewhere over the rainbow right um his cds are like everywhere around honolulu like i saw them everywhere in honolulu so Maybe it'll be kind of like that. So like, are we? So before I forget, are we investing in Acoin as as a podcast? Like, if we find out there's a public offering, are like, are we opening up our digital wallets and like buying like ten bucks worth to see where this goes? I hope the offering is better than what Tom DeLong offered uh, for to the Stars Academy shares because I don't want to shell out like, yo two hundred bucks. You, you want two hundred bucks? My coworker and I, the day this was happening, actually like had this whole conversation about how we'd both go have these, and I was like, do we really want to give Tom DeLong that much money? And like, we're talking like two hundred bucks here. Yeah, like, 
you could do a lot with 200 bucks you could you buy can. vinyl records you could buy <laughs> uh you could buy food for quite uh, a while there you know if you're thrifty and you watch the show cheap eats i think you could you know survive on that for a little while uh you could buy clothes, you could buy gas for your car, anything. I could keep listing off a bunch of things, but yeah. Also, like, just, I don't want to get into this too much because I feel like TTSA and Tom Long is, like, our bread and butter for our, like, other podcasts, but he couldn't find, like, private investors at all? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, no. Everyone saw the bottom line, they're like, no, they saw, like, the, the fact sheet, and they're like, we're not, we're not doing this? Like, it has to be that bad that you have to talk to the public to get money? Well, I think some of the dollars that they got were from some of their members so uh I, I, to be on the board how much did it cost them to get in there oof, i tend to wonder oof. don't you know what we're saying like uh the code podcast at gmail.com let us know just just hit us up and <laughs> oh man um yeah hit us up and tell us tell us are you going to be investing in a coin yes i would love to know and like uh other uh music superstars uh what should their cryptocurrencies be like yeah, we need to know. We need to brainstorm this. So Are, is that? Get oh, I thought it was a Mark Anthony reference. <laughs> no, I'm very man. excited. I'm like, oh, Mark Anthony coin. <laughs> Let's no, hope that never happens. I mean, uh, you know, anything's possible in the future. Just the code cast at gmail dot com. Hit us, Rob. Up. Speaking of the future, do you want to sort of uh, uh, introduce uh, the main uh, sort of topic of this episode, or should we leave that to your intro for the? Uh, you know, segment itself. I'll leave it for the intro to the segment itself, but uh, that's going to do it for our news portion. We're going to head on over to the main feature this week, and it's a very special main feature, so we'll see you right over there. Uh, it's a first for us on the Coda podcast this week, as we have our first guests on the show. Uh, Lydia Liza is a singer-songwriter from St. Paul, Minnesota. Her rendition of Baby, It's Cold Outside went viral in 2017, and in September of last year, dropped her debut album, which was one of my absolute favorite albums of the year. And that album is of Unsound Mind. Fantastic. I have raved about it like numerous times. It's If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Seriously. Uh, Lydia's emotive vocal style has drawn comparisons to Jeff Buckley and Sharon Von Etten. And she has collaborated numerous times with our second guest, uh, Big Cats. Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats, is a composer and producer from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He has worked with artists like Lizzo and Mac Miller, as well as local artists like Chance York and Eric, uh, and Eric Mason, who have all been guests on uh, one of my favorite podcasts, the What If Podcast, whom he co-hosts with his co-host, Ryan Copperwood. <laughs> he also released... Apparently 18 albums in the 2010s, man. What the hell? I don't know. It was too many. They weren't all that good. It could have been but, like four uh, good ones. Uh, but together they have collaborated on a new album called Oh Boy, which is <laughs> out now. Uh, the new LP features lush instrumentation alongside emotive vocals and lyrics. So welcome, Lydia and Spencer, to the podcast. It's an honor to have both of you here. Oh, my God. Hi, buddy. Thanks for Hi, having us. Hi, thanks for having us. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, first things first, this this album is phenomenal. Uh, I have listened to it ten times today. I know Brian has listened to it probably like four or five. Bob, that's uh, too many, bud. Be careful. I, I, dude, I felt it, man. I felt it by about 
noon today, and uh, because I really like to get into an album before I talk about it yeah. uh, in any kind of capacity, but uh, I, I definitely got hit in the feels pretty hard. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you yeah. for spending so much time with our thing. No, no problem. So, uh, Brian, why don't you kick off the questions here? Let's do this. Uh, so, firstly, I'm just kind of curious, uh, uh, to those unfamiliar with the both of you, uh, would you each take a moment to introduce yourselves? I know that Rob just did it, but I'm kind of interested in your own words. Uh, you know, how uh, do you describe yourselves and each other? Oh, good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> oh, I like this. Um, well, I am Lydia. I've been doing tunes since I was 14. Uh professionally since i was 16 um i guess i can't really think of a way to describe myself i'm just a man about town just goofing off (laughs) and uh my main goal in everything is just to leave it better than i found it and and have fun (laughs) and then so spencer's afraid of small well he's afraid of snakes yep for sure. Um, and he's one of the nicest people I've ever seen in my life. Uh, people are intimidated by Spencer because he doesn't do anything he doesn't want to do. And he kind of, he's, he's kind of scary in that way. But we have a really great communication style and I love that he is my best friend. And that, I guess that's my spiel. Okay. And you're also you also are not a fan of rats. It appears. Is, who is? I don't understand that. I love rats. Who's out there advocating for cute. snakes and rats? Me. <sighs> I know. Opp- opposites attract. That's why we're best friends. <laughs> I know of people that do. I mean, I am okay. I follow at least like fifteen rattery Instagrams where they're t- they're you, it's probably- breeding. That was off air, but it's probably good that you deleted your search history recently. Honestly, you don't want to know what's on there. Uh, I have a super hot take that I don't necessarily want my audience to know, but uh, uh, snake ownership is usually a neckbeard thing. You know what? Mm -hmm. It's true. Take that, Lydia. It's true, and I am am a neckbeard. I said usually, not exclusively. Well, I mean, like, take a... Take a good look at me, boys. But I also, if I was a dude, I would be a neckbeard. Absolutely. What is that? Why do you say that? Because I love role-playing games. Okay. I'm kind of snobby about yeah. my animes. Okay. Sorry. And, <laughs> Spoke too soon. Um, and I get if I could, I would own probably multiple reptiles. I just don't have the funds and I don't have the time. But if I could have an iguana bathing in the sun next to me, I would. Okay. Namaste. Perfect. I'm Spencer. Spencer! <laughs> <laughs> I go by Big Cats. Uh, I've been making music since, I don't know, 2005-ish? Yes. I think. Um, Lydia is a human golden retriever. <laughs> Who is too poor to own an iguana. It's true. And the sixth best singer to ever live on St. Clair Avenue in St. Paul. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. That's like, that's a, that's me right there. Yeah. Did I do a good job describing you? I think we both nailed it. I think we did. 
Very good. I think this is like the start to the best interview ever. <laughs> like, man. Also, have you guys written your your press your like your one sheeter that you're sending out for distro? Because I, I think, think we you just, just did. Wrote it. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you literally just did. Spencer, afraid of snakes. Lydia, human golden retriever. <laughs> so here's my question: What kind of snakes do you have in Minnesota? Okay. Garter. No, false. What? I learned while on a hike last year that we have <laughs> rattlesnakes in Minnesota. Oh, so you have timber rattlesnakes. Yes, yeah. if you go far enough south, we have timber rattlesnakes. But they're not Yeah, poisonous. we have them in New York, too. Like that's No, they are poisonous. Pretty much the only That's like the only kind of snakes that and like garden garter snakes. Yeah, we got a bunch it. of those little guys, but I didn't know that we yeah. had venomous snakes in Minnesota until I was on a hike and saw a sign telling me that they were nearby. Oh my god. Yeah, but they're not like overtly venomous. They're what not does bad. that mean? Okay. D- d- you're I'm not going to die instantly if they bite you, Spencer. <laughs> There's a diff- this all sounds like a weird parable. Yes, that's true. Well, here's my here's the thing. Like, uh, Where I live in um, New York, I think is... It, it's very similar to Minnesota. Like our weather is a lot similar. In fact, we get our weather from you pretty much most pretty of the time, much. which makes me very bitter. So, um, you know, that, that is what it is, I guess. <laughs> so that you're saying that applies to snakes also. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Snakes probably because of you guys. Yep. Yeah. That's... Just push them all East. God. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> So you really, I'm sorry to stay on this for so long, but you really no, no. don't think that like a, like a beautiful, okay, no adjectives, a python, mm-hmm. you don't think they're handsome and <laughs> that you want them? Okay, Chuck Tingle. <laughs> could you so, could you just describe wanting them? That's a very broad term. Yeah. You don't want to have one like, in your house? No. Nearby How would you ever all? want a python no, in your house? No. God. Because... They're so good looking. That's not a good reason Man. for me. That yeah, reason doesn't work for me. I would be afraid of like the constrictor aspect, you know, because like they could constrict. Well, yeah, that's like that. their that's their main motive. I love to be intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. I left that out um, of your bio. <laughs> so I guess. Uh, so I guess um, the question then is... I just want a constant reminder of how m- weak I am at every turn. Okay. Okay. I, I could respect that. So I, I you should just keep like a buffalo in your house then. <laughs> yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how, how like delicious do you think a snake would find you? Not very. I'd probably be stringy This question, this question was for me, okay? Calm down. <laughs> okay. You don't get to answer all the snake questions. <laughs> I just love him so much. I, I mean, tell. you can answer, too, if you want. But... Okay, Spencer, how would you taste? I say Let's answer I'm for each stringy other. and tough. No. Okay, fine. Okay. How would I taste to a snake? Go ahead. Uh, beef. <laughs> <laughs> beef. That's... Yeah. Yeah. What uh-huh. about me? Uh, crunchy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Probably not much else. That's no. a lot of crunch. A whole lot of nothing. <laughs> All right. So, so are we done how here. Did you two meet? Let's start with that. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was through Steph. Really? Yeah, I think it was when Steph and I were both working. At, we were sharing a studio. Oh. S- sorry, our POS. Uh, is a rapper a mutual friend of ours who raps about town yeah and makes beats no kings yeah yeah, yeah that guy. he and i were sharing a studio at 
Waterbury. Yeah. And I think you came by once to work on something with him, and I was there. Okay, I think. that it would have been sense. like 2011, 10? Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. So we don't live here, Arrow? Yeah, right around exactly. then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would make sense. Because then I remember meeting you again then, probably, at a gig I was doing with Dem Atlas. And then you were like, yeah. hey, we should all do something together. Yes. And then we never did. Well, we did. We just didn't. <laughs> no one ever. The three of us are the only ones who've heard it. And they're not very good. No, they're not. I don't ever want to. Do you still have them? <laughs> they're on this Can computer right here. throw them away? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So anyway, we met through BOS in like 2000 and. 10 or 11. Yeah. So when did the first snake discussion happen between the two of you? Well, we were trying to get right the now? album cover. Oh, yeah. Our designer <laughs> put a snake on the cover, and I was not into it. And, I was and like, Lydia was very into it. I was like, hell yes. This is the best day of my life. And then Spencer was like, man, I didn't think about it, but I should have probably said I don't like snakes. And then she followed up with a rat, and that's how the rat Well, I was too. like, just so you- oh, sorry, right. Alexis. Spencer doesn't like snakes, but I do. <laughs> It's pretty much the email I sent. And then we end up with a train, which is much nicer. That's much nicer. So I, I guess like we have to pivot then because I mean, since you are big cats, what is your favorite big cat then? Mm. Oh, wait, was this for me? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, Lydia, what's your favorite big cat? Well, I mean, gets... since he's big cats, okay, what's well, your guess... favorite big cat? My guess for Spencer is that his favorite big cat is it a jaguar. No, but they are pretty cool. Okay, I just think they're also so handsome. They are. You know, they are the most handsome of the big cats for yes. sure. Yeah, lions. I I, I have Cheetahs. input on this. I have I do have input on this. Okay. I think Spencer is kind of like one of those big cats, maybe like a black panther that's like in an area that it's not supposed to be. So you know, you got those mysterious cats. cat. Yeah, like mysterious big cat sightings, like, say, up in my neck of the woods. That's the kind of big cat that I think you are. Well, a long time ago, Spencer had some, I don't know, what do you call it, merch? He had a cheetah being lifted up by a UFO. Yeah. And cheetahs are fast. That's I've been thinking about dope. getting that tattooed on me, actually. Yes, you have. Mm-hmm. You told me that. Oh, okay. You should get it. Uh, my favorite big cat is the lynx. Oh. They make he- crazy oh, wow. noises, and the greatest basketball yeah, team of all time is named after them. Should have known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, literally, in 15 minutes of recording time, we've probably talked about 20 seconds of actual music. This is going real well, guys. <laughs> That's yes. fine. Real, I'm real a, fucking well. I'm having an awesome <laughs> this time. This is what your show is about, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Cat, cat and snake appreciation as a top line. Pretty <laughs> we, much. We, we started this uh, our podcast off talking about the, uh, the city in Senegal that Akon is starting and the cryptocurrency that it will um be using do you want to take a guess at what that cryptocurrency is called oh my god a coin you you're damn right, right. <laughs> Hell yeah. you're right <laughs> i mean you have to right wait this is really happening yes absolutely he signed a deal with senegal and over the next 10 years they're de- he's developing a city that is supposed to be 100 percent self-sufficient and it's supposed to be like this like city that is uh i forget the exact term for it but it's like it's supposed to be like uh this environmentally economic like, uh, like really a, efficient city so like uh what's the word what's the word for uh utopia utopia thank you 
Fruitopia? You guys remember that? <laughs> oh, that yeah, man. That that's bringing me. Sorry, back. did you all want to talk about music? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk. Eventually, about, let's talk eventually, about. I have a whole notes like cheeses, uh, different uh, you know streetwear that you guys like. Oh, very good. Uh, but before that, yes. Uh, how did Oh Boy come together? Like, how did you two decide, like, this This is now the time that we do this? Uh, I think that decision happened over the course of several years. Yeah. I mean, we we worked, like, actively on the songs that ended up on that album over the course of, like, two years? Yeah. Just meeting weekly to write songs. Yeah. But we've been, like, working together on stuff for a long time. Yeah. So then it was like a natural progression into being like, all right, let's do a thing. And then I remember, I remember it viscerally the moment I knew I needed. So I was in Ireland and I was standing on this bridge. I'm just kidding. I was walking across the bridge. It wasn't like a beautiful, I didn't have wind in my hair or anything. I was walking across the bridge. It was kind of cold. I was kind of having a bad day in Ireland. And I was like, I need to make a record with Spencer. So then when I got back to Wi-Fi so my phone would work, I said, Spencer, it's probably early morning for you, but a lot, I've got an idea. And then we did it. Yeah. The second I got home. I think, so basically, like the secret, you kind of willed it into existence. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, that's how that's you exactly. got to make stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you got to think about it and then you got to do it. Yeah. And then it's a thing. Could you take a picture of your vision boards for me? Ugh. Dude. I've never made one. Is it? Is it? Uh, it works. Is that a thing I should be doing? It works. You maybe. I I I've had friends who've done those for fun, but they claim it's for fun, but it's probably for serious. Who am I kidding? Everyone's mm. like, I need to manifest, but don't want to sound like a dick about it. I in general the uh, the the manifest or speak it into existence stuff. Yeah. really bothers me. Well, which is probably not surprising to you. No, I'm not. Surprised. I mean, I listen to your podcast. I know, like, most of the general stuff that bothers yeah. you. Yeah, I just, I just feel like uh, there's this idea with art and music that it's this like really heady inspiration strikes in a moment thing. Yeah, when that's not the case at all, and it's more of just like you work at it, like you work at anything else that. Yes you get good at or f complete i completely agree with that i completely agree with that and i also think it's a pretty good degree of also like the privilege to have an existential crisis like having the economic standing and <clears throat> i'm getting very philosophical here but i think you're privileged to have a life that you're feeling like in crisis about and then want to write songs about emotionally. Did oh, that make sense? You're saying there's privilege <laughs> connected to just being able to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I th the accessibility to the right. to the thoughts that you can turn into songs. Having time to like sit around and think. And think, feel bad about yourself right. and your life and then write songs about it. Yeah. Right, so in a roundabout way, I guess we can thank the Industrial Revolution for this. I think so, actually. For, for oh most, boy, directly. Most things, but yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, so think about, yeah, definitely the Industrial Revolution. That's really where That I was started. actually the inspiration for this record. <laughs> That's why there's a train on the front. 
So we need to sit down, you start working together, and then, you know, you slowly build a repertoire of songs. So there are 12 on the album, including some musical interludes. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what is that process like? How do you decide in this partnership, like, when something is good enough for both of you, or if one of you pulls for something that you're not sure of? We wrote a lot of bad ones. Yeah, they were, they were like, the whole first year was songs that nobody's going to hear. Yeah. So, Throw those away, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, like, a, a process of figuring out where we intersect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because during that time, like, Lydia was writing a lot of songs. I was working on a bunch of different stuff. And it's just kind of finding the areas where we overlap and then, like, leaning into that once we identified it. Yeah. You kind of start to, like, gauge each other's tastes. So Spencer was like, this, he'd make something and be like, this kind of sounds like something Lydia would be able to write or sing to. Mm-hmm. So sometimes he would be just sending me beats, and then I would write to them, and then we'd fill it out together with me playing the banjo or the guitar or something. But most of the stuff that actually ended up on the album was stuff that we made, like, fully together. Yeah. Um, where you'd bring some lyrics or a chord progression or a melody or all of the above. And then we'd figure, like yeah. figure out how it makes a song together in the same room. Yeah. So this was an album built like in the room, not necessarily you guys trading files over. And no, then, like, meeting up. no, we just, yeah, we were hanging out like every Wednesday for two years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't like a predefined aesthetic in terms of like what you guys were necessarily looking for. So you spent part of your, you know, half of your kind of, uh, project life sort of searching for um, common ground in some ways. Exactly. Yeah, I think if you haven't worked with someone on that level of like making a whole album together, it's really hard to know in, in the if you're working in a collaborative sense where you're actually like writing together, it's yeah. really hard to know before you get into it what the other person is going to like or what the album should sound like. Yeah. You kind of just have to learn by doing it. Exactly. And then eventually get to a point where you trust each other. Yeah. And that's the kind of next point I wanted to make because like I've uh, not necessarily made music, but in other creative endeavors, it's like, do I trust this person enough to open myself up to their criticism too? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it helped that we had a relationship before we started like trying to actually make a record together. So yeah. there was like a lot of trust built outside of the actual collaboration process. That's true. Like Spencer's the one guy I can sing something and he'll be like, that fucking sucks. And I'll be like, no, I'll be like, thank you so much. Try not to say it that way usually, but yeah, you got no. You have to be honest with each other if you're going to make something good. Yeah, know? exactly. So, you know, there are 12 songs on this. At what point did you call this like a finished product where you're like, these are enough songs in order for us to sort of like put something out together? Oh, good question. <laughs> Well, I think it was when we had a handful of full songs, and then we started finding interludes that, and then we were kind of like, there you go. There it is. Yeah, I I approached it sort of as, like, in the full album sense of getting to a point where we we have enough things that work together. Yeah. So when we had five or six songs that felt good, but also felt good together, then start thinking about like, okay, well, what could we write that would fit into this? Or what are, what are these six songs missing that we feel like this collection needs? Yeah. Um, the interludes kind of are in there to separate a couple sections of the album from each other. 
But I, I don't know if there's ever like a, I've rarely experienced working on music or any other creative stuff, a point of being like, this is definitely done right now. And yeah. I know that for sure. I, I, before I started doing music more seriously, I painted for a long time. And like my biggest problem was always overworking something. Yeah. Cause it's just like, there's no, especially if you're doing like less representational stuff, there's no clearly defined end point. That makes so much but sense. But there is a point where if you keep working, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's try it, again, I think it just comes down to like trusting each other. And for me, it, I played what we had for a few people that I trusted to. Yeah. And getting some feedback from people that you trust that will be honest with you of like, yeah, this feels good together. Or like, these aren't really working together. Or like, this one sticks out. Or. Uh, what the hell? This is only twenty minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> the album is still short, but um, yeah, I, I don't. I've never felt like a hundred percent confident that an album is done. When yeah, I, when I turn right. it in. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, sort of taking it to a micro level, though. Like, um, did you to like tinker with a lot of the songs once they were initially there, or were you kind of like this is kind of a product of its time? We're gonna leave that be. I feel like we kept tinkering with it until we were like, we should probably get this mixed and mastered and figure something out, bud. Yeah, I I typically try and avoid tinkering and we'll like put up obstacles yeah. to prevent tinkering. Because, I, I, again, I feel like there's a point where you can keep changing stuff, but if there's a problem, that's probably not going to fix it. Yeah. And if there's not a problem, then you're just going to make it worse. So I'll, yeah. I'll put up, I like to put deadlines on things where it's like, that eh, we got to turn it into mixing. So yeah. let's make, like, th there's nothing to be gained from second guessing yourself like that. I try and make as many decisions <clears throat> as possible throughout the process and, like, not be scared to let things go or scrap ideas if you think you can do better. Yeah. So that, like, you just don't leave yourself a bunch of opportunities to second guess yourself. Yeah, I think you well, especially in the mixing process. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I think you can really think yourself silly very easily. That's a big reason why I don't like to mix my own stuff too. Yeah. You just have to hand it off to someone else that you trust at some point. Yeah, I could never. Right. Yeah. Yeah, in another life, I used to manage local bands, and a lot of the time I had to put my foot down with them because there'd be four people in the room trying to get something mixed for, you know, mm. 30, 40 bucks an hour for, oh God, like hundreds of hours sometimes, right? And it's just uh, the notion of wanting to tinker forever definitely lingers until you reach the mastering stage, pretty much. Advice yeah. for bands or anyone getting <clears throat> music mixed professionally? Yeah. Let the engineer mix it on their own first and then come in and listen. Yes. That was the worst part is that the engineer's mix was the best one out of, in my opinion, and then like it got ruined in the studio. Yeah. So. Ugh. For someone who has like no like ear for music other than like what I find pleasant, um, one thing that uh, always stuck out to me, Spencer, uh, when you were talking with your dad on the podcast was uh, you mentioned at one point that uh, for music, it can only be expressed like a feeling or a thought can only be expressed in a certain way, you know, and that way, you know, for you as music. So where does a song start for each of you? Does it start, you know, with a, like, like an idea or a thought in your head or, or how does that start for each of you? Oh man. Uh, many different places. 
Um, it can be working with a, mel- you know, a melody first and then building harmony and rhythm and stuff around it. Uh, sometimes it'll be something as simple as like just sitting down at a piano and playing random chords until one sounds good and then figuring out what the next one and the next one is. Um, sometimes it's cause for me in like the electronic and hip hop world, um, a lot of times it's more about texture and sound design than melody and harmony. So sometimes it'll be, you know, building a synth patch or something like that first and then figuring out like what is, what sounds cool with this specific sound that I have. Um, working with Lydia, it's more of, I think for most of these songs you had like a melody or yeah changes or lyrics or all three first well or like you would send me i guess for our collaborative stuff like you sent me a bunch of voice memos and then we'd be like that one and that one and that one and then i'd build like a little skeleton around it or sometimes just sampling the voice memos that you sent me or yeah um I rarely sit down to like with a complete thought in my head or like know where a song is going to end when I sit down. Um, a, cause I'm not like a very good songwriter in the traditional sense. And B, cause like part of the fun for me is figuring out where something can or needs to go. Yeah. Rather than just like trying to get to a finish line. Yeah. I don't know. You, and then additionally, Lydia, uh, just kind of curious, like, did you approach this lyrically any different from the outset than you would another project, given, you know, the sort of like the friendship that you share with Spencer and then like kind of like an idea of what you guys wanted to build together? Um, Well, kind of. I There were some days we'd be here at, at his house <laughs> and I would need to to have lyrics. So I would just sometimes like write them right here. And get them done, which is very not me, because I love to overthink. You were writing a lot of poetry at the time, too, right? Yeah. I was getting really heady, <laughs> just to bring that word back from earlier. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. What is your, if you're, like, writing just for yourself, Yeah. what is your process usually like? Um, so I'm a very frantic creator where I need to, I'm lucky that I was homeschooled for a majority of my life and my parents were really serious about like, find your bliss, find the thing that helps you translate what the fuck all this is. Like, just go for it anytime, be creative. So I found a bunch of different voices for myself with that so sometimes I'll be like, if, I, if I'm if i alone, I'll need to fill the space with something creative. I'll need to draw. I'll need to read. I'll need to write or something. So when I'm writing by myself, it's usually kind of a, I kind of feel like I'm going to throw up. I'm like feeling so, so in emotion really intensely or something like that. And I'll frantically journal. And then sometimes it's a little more ethereal than that. And I'll get a line. And then, so you're starting with like lyrics and melody usually, and then just building, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's it's very spastic and unpredictable. So I've gotten into the practice of making sure I sit down and write every day for an hour. 
Dang. I journal. And sometimes that ends up inspiring me to do something musically. Sometimes it doesn't. But the point is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Did that answer any questions? <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. I definitely well, Rob, think so. I feel like I cut you off before too, so No, 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 that's that's fine. Uh was there any like particular song on the album that was like harder to, you know, make work or to met out the idea? To me, no. There were a bunch that felt more difficult than the ones that ended up on the album. Yeah. But I think sort of going back to what I was talking about earlier, like we just let those ones go. Exactly. Mm. And I think that is part of the thing with becoming more of a maybe professional creative person. You start to not see your ideas and your songs as extensions of yourself or who you are or like judge yourself based on that ability. And you start to see it as a practice and see it as like, it's okay if we let this one go and don't force it if it, if it hurts too. I think that it connects to what I was talking about earlier in terms of like inspiration kind of being bullshit. Yeah. Of like, if you, if you approach it just as a practice, something that you do regularly because you want to get better at it. Yeah. Then each individual idea, each individual song is not so precious. Exactly. Because if you look at it as this is this moment of inspiration and I have to capitalize on this one idea. Yeah. You hold on to it, even if it's not necessarily a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> mm, and, yeah. Whereas if you know that this is just this is what I'm working on today and I'm going to work on this or something else again tomorrow and the next day, like, yeah, it's not a big deal to work on something for an hour or a couple hours and let it go. And also, the more you do it, you can start recognizing faster. This is not working. Let's try something else. Yeah. So that you're not spending a whole right. day on a song that doesn't turn out. You're spending 15 minutes on it instead and <clears throat> moving on to something else. Exactly. Yeah. I it's it's a really interesting kind of description because I think what you're describing is sort of like a pivoting from an end product to sort of a process. Yes. Yeah. I mean, ideally, there is no like end, right? I mean, I guess we'll like die right. at some point, but yeah, I, I want to keep making stuff, and I've forever. Yeah, and I, I've I've recognized along the way that like I'm not going to make a perfect thing ever. Yeah. So in the moment, but to I'm, me, you've made a lot of perfect things. Thank you, but you got I it. Disagree. So, yeah. What? Is, so so Spencer, it, what is the closest thing to perfect you've ever come to? In that case. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know if if perfect is the right word. I, there have been some albums that have felt. Um, like they've come together in really uh i guess coincidental or like synchronistic ways um i put out an album in 2012 called for my mother that like so many things had to happen for that album to work the way that it yeah. did in terms of like uh well some really negative things like my mom dying and me processing that yeah some really positive things like i got my first ever major grant in order to do the record the way i was doing it i had to i was working with like 15 different people on the album who then i continued for most of them like i've been friends with and have continued to work with since then yeah um there were just like so many things that happened in a way that at any other point 
they wouldn't have happened or couldn't have happened. Like yeah. I couldn't go back. I I'm a much better musician and producer and writer now, but I don't think I could make that album again if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because it's it's the perceived imperfect like imperfections that make it right. Yeah, and like you know, Lizzo wouldn't return my calls these days probably. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was just like it was just this like little moment in time where we were all in the right spot to do something like that too. Um, Toki's album felt that way too. Pangea, yeah, yeah. Of just like we were both in a space where we were down to try new things and push each other, and like that was the first time that you and I really worked together. Yeah, um, bringing Mason in on that, and like so their their albums, I guess those two to me feel special in that sense of like they captured a specific moment better than some of my other ones. Yeah. Right. I'd still like, there's still things I don't like about both of them. So I don't know if <laughs> perfect, uh, I wouldn't use the word perfect, but like some albums feel organic. Yeah. Or like more important, I guess than others. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What about you, Lydia? What's the closest thing to uh, uh, total satisfaction you've ever had with a project or a song? Um, well, geez, Louise. I We can come back to it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The, the thing I think about, this is kind of where I feel like songwriting can be cerebral or like the elusive muse. I feel like my favorite things are the things that came to me in like 15 minutes. I was going to ask if you have songs that just sort of like fall out. Yeah. Those are my favorite songs. Those are my best songs. So I don't know. I recently wrote a song about a panic attack and I think it's like one of my best <clears throat> songs. Which one is that? Have I heard it? Uh, Yeah. It's the one where nothing gets me down. Oh, yeah. 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 So I don't, I guess I, and I also worked so hard on, of unsound mind. Yeah. It definitely doesn't feel perfect or feel like I, it felt like such a good first effort, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That one seems like one where you learn a ton through it too. Exactly. And then the next one is like the thing. Or like now you have all of those tools tools going forward you know yeah because that was like with the fundraising and the release and yeah. all that stuff and like you heading every single part of that yeah i learned a lot yeah jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i um so what would you say like were some of the um pivotal artists that you listened to that were kind of influential in your own styles uh if i'm talking about producers for me dj shadow was one of the first people that got me really into wanting to make beats because um, mm. i was very into djing when i was younger and was not like making music yet um and i heard introducing in I don't know. I think around when it came out, probably like mid late nineties and dude made a whole album that was a hundred percent sampled and it's beautiful. It didn't sound like rap beats. It was like yeah. these 
full beautiful songs but it was entirely made on mpc every note of it was sampled um so he was a huge influence on me jay dillo a little bit later in life um let's see yeah uh dj rashad actually was uh again like even more recently i got into his stuff pretty late r.i.p um yeah, both those guys. Uh, and then I, I guess on a like non-producer, non-hip-hop side of things, uh, Marvin Gaye has been really influential to me. Harry Nielsen was really influential to me. Mm. And also just like a really sad story, God. Uh, Wait, which one? <laughs> yeah. Harry, well, I mean, like, I mean, for uh, Harry Nielsen's the one that I know I'm more familiar with than any of them. And, like, just knowing how that guy just destroyed his voice. Yeah, he had a rough time. Over a, yeah, over a bit. And, I need uh, to yeah, all that. read about that. Do you, yeah, do you know his stuff at all? Yeah, you gave me a vinyl okay. a while ago. Uh, there's a really good documentary called Who is Harry Nilsson? Uh It was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there, but it's a Damn. really good um, retrospective about his career. And I would say that um, uh, I, um, I Can't Live If Living Is Without You is like one of the most amazing songs that he ever wrote. That you know? dude yeah. could write a motherfucking song. God. He was just and, like, yeah, he's, he's such... like a prime example of it being a practice, too. Yeah, he wrote so much, and he wrote so many songs for that are like. He's one of those dudes who are like, you know, even if you've never heard his name, you know, ten of his songs. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And I mean, like, and he had such range. I mean, you you go from yeah, um, song I just mentioned to like the lime and the coconut song. Yes. And then what was the album they did? Uh, a little touch of Schmilson in the night. The, the album he did with yeah. the full orchestra. Yeah, Dude, like he had That's a beautiful voice to too. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. He he did have a he did have a beautiful voice. Yeah, now it's an amazing voice, and I mean, like, the point is one of the most like fun concept records that I've ever heard. Yeah, like that was what got yeah. me into him initially. Yeah. How about you? Um, <clears throat> I forgot what we were talking about. Influences. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Buckley, Laura Marling, Kate Bush. Modest Mouse, uh, Brand New, um, John Denver. John Denver? I fucking love really? John Denver. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Jackson Brown. Total aside. Yeah. Hall & Oates is playing here this summer. Do you want to go? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, with Squeeze? Uh, Is it with Squeeze? I think so. Oh, yeah. my God. I love Squeeze. <laughs> I also, yeah, we should go. Yeah. I love Squeeze. I um, saw Hollow Notes in Vegas last year, and oh, boy, it was a good time. God. Yeah. And they like fucking hate each other. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I love that. Um, That's good working chemistry. <laughs> Daryl just wants to go home and do Daryl's house. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, That's all he really wants to do, man. <gasps> he he got up on the microphone at one point. And he was introducing a song. He's like, John wrote this next one. So you guys probably don't know it. <laughs> oh and my then he started playing it. God. <laughs> just haters. I, I um my absolute favorite album of theirs will always be the abandoned luncheonette. It's just a classic. <laughs> so many bangers. 
They're so they they had so many bangers. Yeah, I feel as though uh, maybe you two need to reach that point where you've attained so much fame that you are distantly and passive aggressively angry with each other. And I can't wait for that reunion tour. It's probably going to be an argument about snakes. Honestly, honestly, <laughs> we're going to go on tour and you're going to like sneak a snake into I'm gonna the bus. I'm going to be like, come on, they're not that and not bad. Tell me about it. Yeah. No, it's I wouldn't the, do anything. It's that the evil. snakes and rats tour. <laughs> Okay, well... Have my... you guys given any thought to uh, touring together? It's just a lot to think about. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at this fun level where, like, uh, we could book shows. We have to do it. But we'd have to do it, and they'd be, like, you know, not that many of them, and we wouldn't get paid that much money. Yeah. I like staying in my house. I know. <sighs> Why don't you just pull a Sage Francis, get the, the disc in? Plug it in, and then Spencer, your job is hit play on the discman, and Lydia, you'll just sing. Well, <laughs> see, you could, yeah, you could pull totally pull a uh, stop making sense kind of thing here. The first you know, beat uh, I ever sold was to Sage Francis. Really, yep. I was nineteen years old, and I listened back to it, and it's not that good. Damn, <laughs> damn, yeah. Was it uh, part of one of his projects? Yeah, it was on uh, Human. Human the Death Dance. You were built for this. Oh yeah. There's a song called Blackout in Black in Rome. Blackout on White Night in Rome. I think it's the whole song. Okay. And Spencer. Made the only that. song I know there is the Buck sixty five one. So. Oh yeah. There's a. I'll have to go listen to that. There's somebody else on it too who is a person whose name I should remember right now, and I shouldn't have started <laughs> the sentence without knowing their name. Never mind. <laughs> 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 you ever start a sentence and not know uh, how it's going to end? I do it all the time. The, every time I podcast. Okay, great. Dude, honestly, probably every yeah. time I open my mouth. No, like you you should see because we take turns like uh, being the lead host of this podcast. And when I'm on it, I like tank at least like a portion of it. So, Perfect. you know, no, you did. You did well this episode. I'm very proud of you. I, I appreciate your positivity. I had my moments, but I'm I'm glad that you perceived my performance well. And I will take <laughs> I will take that and and go positively into the night with it. Oh, my <laughs> podcast God. friendship right here. <laughs> the other day I work as a barista and well, I mean, I have many stories I could tell you guys. Jolie Holland, final answer. Oh, there. Good. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Just, just to, I don't know, to give a scope of how much of a dumb idiot I can be, one time, well, this was not that long ago, I drooled in front of a customer because I had taken a bite of a peanut butter cookie and it was so good that I was salivating. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I drooled in front of this customer and I just like without missing a beat I said I can't I can't pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> and then he without missing a beat said neither can I. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so about like, you know, sentences and not knowing where they're going to go. It sounds like you nailed that one. Well, you know. You know. <laughs> so like um who would be like your dream person to collaborate with? Lydia. Yep. Oh. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. no, you're saying you want This isn't like a real press run, you know that, yeah, right? Just yeah. making sure that it's yeah, just... Yeah, like, uh... totally playing up that press. They're going to use, like, sound bites from this and... Yes. Um, well, I've got three. Nico Case. One of my all-time favorites. Yes. Lover. Billie Eilish. Miley Cyrus. Wow. Yes. 
and Spencer. I dig it. That is a that's a good list. So uh, here's a fun piece of trivia, and I I, I learned this last night. I okay, I, I don't I don't know if you guys know this or not. Yes, yes, I mean, yes. she swept the four major award categories: song yes, of the yes, year, yes. album of the year, record of the year, yes. best new artist. Do you know who the only other artist to do that is? Beyonce, Cheryl Crow. Oh. Nope, no. I know who it is. Yeah, I mean, I t- yes. it's because I tweeted it out on. The, on oh no, not even with that. Yeah, uh, but go ahead. DMX. Uh, no, the only I wish Mariah the only Carey? artist to, to do it is Christopher Cross in 1981. Oh, of course it was fucking Criss Cross. Criss Cross. <laughs> no, no, not Chris, <laughs> not Chris Cross. Christopher Amazing! Cross. <laughs> Who is Christopher Cross? The best. He's the guy that sang Sailing. the song Sailing. What? Right? Yeah. You you've got to go listen that to that sick. song now, dude. No, dad. <laughs> not it, dude. Sailing takes him away. Okay, like oh, you've got nothing it. wrong with that. Uh, look up Christopher Cross. Something about uh, loving a woman. Is that the name of a song? Yes. Here's a good piece of <laughs> trivia. I know Billie Eilish's entire full name. Billie Bill- Eilish, Billiard? Pirate Baird O'Connell. Oh, that's my. I love her so much. I thought maybe Billy was short for billiard. Nope. But that's a fucking great guess. Straight up, as an FYI, has anyone Googled Christopher Cross and looked at his uh, recent pictures? Because he kind of looks like a thumb. Is he hot? Like, this is subtly immaterial to the podcast. Extremely hot thumb. Looks like a thumb. I'm going to look it up right this instant. (laughs) Dude. Wait, am I going to regret looking this up? No. Christopher Cross. No, no, they're all safe for for life. Whoa! (laughs) Dude! Let me, let me see. Like a, wow, he does look like uh, a thumb. nice dude. He almost he almost kind of has a oh. he has a kind of Kyle Gas look to him. I was just gonna say yes. he looks just like Kyle Gas. Wow. And also his Grammy.com picture is definitely a neckbeard. Sailing. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. Rob, I think you have one more to go. So, uh, um, I know you guys just put out. Uh, your, this project that's out today as of the release date of this podcast episode. But I mean, Spencer, you're a workhorse as it is. Like, do you, uh, do any of you have uh, another, any other projects that you got coming out this year? Um, I'm working on a bunch of like non album things. Um, working on a music for a documentary right now called race to Alaska. That'll be out sometime this year. Um, making a just a whole gang of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I'm gonna take a little a little minute from making albums, probably. Yeah, take I'm, a nap. I, I don't blame you, <laughs> you because could, like, dude, do you do you even sleep, dude? Do you sleep at all? Yeah, that's about all I do though. I just like sleep and make music and hang out with my dog. Play basketball a couple times a week. I'm so lucky. Do you play basketball with the dog? N- I mean, he could. I mean, how tall is your dog on on its back on her back legs? Like seriously. Uh, well, we have a five, bigger than me. We have a five foot fence in our yard, and he routinely looks over it just to see what's going on in the neighbor's yard. So he's a big boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I also wanted to congratulate you. I heard on your podcast uh, last week that you got your first technical. So congratulations! I did. Thank you. Thank you. I had I had twenty <laughs> points and no fouls tonight, though. So I feel like I sort of redeemed myself. I think you did. Wait, man. What are you doing? Shoving? No. Pushing and shoving? No. I told the ref that he was dumb. 
because he was being dumb. <laughs> that's such an that's old-timey a, insult. That's a total well, I didn't say move. that. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Okay, so you're you're dumb. Just here. <laughs> Pardon me, sir. That was that was belligerent of you. <laughs> oh my god! There was more profanity involved. <laughs> you fucking idiot! <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, right on. Will there be a compilation of you just yelling at refs? Is that one of your products? So Ryan and I, if if you guys have access to Ryan on the internet or in person or telepathically, I've been trying to convince him and someone else to do an episode of our podcast that is the two of them doing like play-by-play and color commentary on one of our games oh my god i <laughs> need to do this okay, okay. that would be amazing <laughs> oh my god just bring a couple microphones to the game yes and try and describe what's happening like, spencer's wearing tear-off pants again <laughs> <laughs> again <laughs> so Ugh. yes where I, I would love to do that well someday. this would be perfect because i don't know any of the lingo i'd yeah. be like he just ran so fast <laughs> <laughs> are you supposed to fall over that much oh my god wow so what-, what if instead of a tour you just run into local rec leagues and just like f- play i mean and lydia just commentates that's honestly <laughs> it's not a bad idea that's not a- i bet we could get a grant for that yes <laughs> pop-up uh musical basketball commentary yeah <laughs> Just got to accumulate like a lot of YMCA guest passes. Exactly. <laughs> I have a membership, God damn it. <laughs> VH1 needs a resurgence in content. I think that could be it. Yeah. So where can people find you on the internet before we forget? Uh, www.spotify.com. <laughs> All right. No, our album's on. It's called Oh Boy. It's Lydia Liza and Big Cats. It's on Spotify and Apple Music and... Napster. Amazon. Amazon. All those places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got a website. It's uh, LydiaLiza.com? No, no. Dicks. No, it's www.simply.dicks.com. .dicks.com. <laughs> yes. Yes. Backslash. What do you think? What do you think? Rats. <laughs> selling rats. I'm selling my brand of rat. <laughs> <laughs> Which just randomly dies on you. I don't know what I did. Scabbers. <laughs> and they're all hairless. Oh, boy. Um, No, www.lydializa.com and then uh, just, just all, all kind, all Instagram. She's a great Instagram and Twitter follow. Oh, I am pretty funny. <laughs> 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 on Twitter, I go viral like once a week. Yeah, it's good stuff. God. <laughs> God, I'm so freaking good at it. All right, boys. <laughs> cue the outro music. Spencer, Lydia, play thank us you out. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, welcome back and welcome to the B side where uh, we're, we're doing things a little differently. I know I went punk rock and recommended a book last time, but this time. We're going to give you our most anticipated albums of 2020. So, Brian, kick us off, man. So, uh, uh, we often joke that I love new metal, and that is quite true. So, one of the albums I'm most looking forward to, and by all indications, it's going to come out in 2020, is the Deftones are planning something new, and I'm super excited. 
Yes, I mean you did have that Chino Moreno hair back in the day. And it was bad. It was bad. It was it was bad, but you know what? Uh, I I would pop for that hair, man. It would look Chino Chino Moreno had that kind of hair that looked like a dog licked it yes. and then just hung there. Yes. <laughs> and so yes, I share I share hair with the man. I'm very interested. Um, uh, their last album Gore kind of let me down, but they claim to be going more into a riff like direction. So I'm willing to entertain this idea. What does that mean, more riff-like? <laughs> well, because, like, Gore had more of a, like, a, a sort of, like, a, a feel to it, and it was less based around, like, guitar-based music and more so based around, like, feeling and, like, space. Yeah, okay. I, I understand. They're they're experimenting. <laughs> yes. They're experimenting. So I want more That's guitar in my mix, bro. More guitar. Bring it to the table. What you got, Rob? Um. So uh, I've been waiting for this album, you know, for quite a number of years we uh we need it she's gonna save us all adele i need 30 i need 30 <laughs> right now i need i i i've had a, a crush on adele for a long time so i feel like a lot of people have and i feel like you know it's, it's only gonna get better with time it's yeah it's uh it's gonna age well this album is gonna be monumental she's never let me down so she's not gonna let me down now do you think she's purchasing acorn I I think it's a possibility. Adele, if you're listening to this, the codacast at gmail.com, we need to know will you invest in Bitcoin? <laughs> Please. I'm I'm into opening that dialogue up with Adele. I think it's time. So let's let's <laughs> let's hear from her. Yes, please. Just tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what you got next? Uh, uh, something uh, surprising, but not so much. I am very interested uh, in hearing Dua Lipa's future nostalgia album, right? So lead single, Don't Start Now, is great. Super exciting. Um, and I noticed between her and Charlie Puth, they have this like weird um, way of... Uh, I'm not sure if it's them or their, their engineer or the producer, but um, they've pushed the bass up front, Michael Jackson bad style. Um, so when you listen to Don't Start Now, you hear that bass right in your face. And I really, really love that sound. And I hope that her album has more of that. Brian likes bass in his face. Yeah, yes. And uh, Does, will this lead to Brian starting an ace of bass cover band? Uh, uh, Rob, don't spoil my 2020 for the rest of the audience. <laughs> totally called that shit. Totally called that shit. We're calling ourselves the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Because we're bridging the then and the now. Please tell me you'll have a song called Bass in Your Face. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like a, a B-side mega mix. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's like long form. It's going to be six minutes. Uh, what is your second uh, anticipated release of 2020? Uh, so we don't, uh, most of the albums on my list, I don't think they have a name for yet. Well, no, just two of them. Okay. So um, uh, Jason Isbell has to be coming out with something this year. Like I know he spent time with uh uh, was it Todd Snyder in the studio and a couple other artists? Oh, David Crosby. So uh, yeah, we need we, I need some Jason Isbell in my life. <laughs> so should you and I tag team tweet at him like every couple of days? Be like, do you have new music coming out this year? Do you have new music coming out this year? In the hopes that like he'll notice us. I don't want to get blocked by Jason Isbell. <laughs> That's true. He's a very good follow. Um, and I accidentally <laughs> unfollowed him. I realized like yesterday, so I need to fix that. Why didn't you fix it already? I don't Brian? know because I was on I was on the show account and I was like, let me get back to my personal one, and then I got distracted. So 
I'm gonna do that right now, Jason. Oh. Live, yep. live Twitter following. Okay, we're done. Good, perfect. Live done. Twitter done. following. The only kind of shit that you can get on the Coda Podcast. <laughs> uh, my third pick actually probably theoretically has a name due to how they love to name their albums, but Run the Jewels, Run the Jewels Four. Yeah, it's gonna be a banger. Uh, how it's been a while since we've heard it's the from longest Run the gap. Jewels. Yeah, it's been two, three years. Three years. <clears throat> yeah, I mean they, they, you know, they deserved a break. You know. I mean, Killer Mike released one of the best albums of the decade and then followed it up by the best collaboration. Yeah, for sure. So good. Yeah, so, so, so good. So anyone who um, doubts this, uh, go listen to the song Reagan, right? Yeah, no. Fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. So, yeah, Run the Jewels 4 for me is, is definitely up there on my list. Uh, what about you? Uh, the follow-up to Ashley McBride's, uh, Girl Going Nowhere. Oh, uh, yes. That, that album was phenomenal. We've already got a couple songs out. Uh, One Night Standards, uh, is, uh, the, her latest single. It's cracked into the, uh, Hot 50. So, I'm excited to see what that album is going to be like. And, uh, I need it. I need it now. <laughs> speaking of i need it now i'm going to uh this is not a for sure but it's a strong possibility uh rob uh we've discussed how you are the sad bastard but sometimes i'm a sad boy one word uh and so i'm really hoping that robert smith and the cure put out something this year something you know it's gotta happen it's gotta happen i I, it's kind of weird in that i never realized how much cure i actually took in from the ages of like 17 to 23 you took in a lot, didn't I you? I did, from 17 Seconds to, you know, pornography, uh, God, like, all, all the classics, and even the new stuff, which isn't that bad, like the self-titled Cure album that was um, produced by Ross Robinson, let's not get into that right now, but it's fine. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the radio station my dad worked at, they always played uh, Friday I'm in Love on Fridays. Oh, that's a cool standard, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's a great one. Yes, um, my number four pick, and it'll actually be out uh, when this episode comes out, The Unraveling by Drive-By Truckers, their follow-up. Oh, right. Uh, man, um, when they don't use Wes Freed, who is normally their cover art guy, you know that DBT means business. <laughs> they meant business. They meant business on their goddamn last album. They mean business again because I need that West Freed art, and you know what? I'm I'm going without it again. So, you know, I have a feeling it's going to be similar thematically to their last album, American Band, which was a very political album, and uh, this man, duh. The un- the unraveling it's it's gonna be it's gonna be like more sad bastard than I think I may be able to handle I don't know but, uh, uh, considering the sad bastard slash sad boy motif my last pick of this year and it's probably going to happen uh, the excess's fourth album oh my god yeah uh, it's got to happen I it's I'm very ready for my 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 dreamy sad British pop music uh, you know so that I can just sit there in the dark and just enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, 100%, man. 100%. And um, so my final pick is uh, a follow-up that I've been waiting for for quite a while now, and that is uh, Brandi Clark's Your Life as a Record. Finally getting a new album from her. Get it in my ears. I need it in my ears. 
Rob, it sounds like we're very, very hopeful for this next year, but I don't know how I feel about that because none of these may happen. <laughs> well, except for the drive-by truckers. But uh, so we know it, it, thirty is coming. It's got to be coming. Um, I think they scheduled it for the spring, but I could be wrong. Um, Jason, come on, buddy. Don't, don't, don't let me down. I will tweet at don't him let me next down. week, like beginning of February. I'll start tweeting at him. Okay, please. Please do. I mean, you can say that you're tweeting on my behalf. That's well, no, fine. I'm going to say that the 30 to 50 feral hogs need a new soundtrack. They do need a new soundtrack. Like, if there there really needs to be a song about 30 to 50 feral <laughs> hogs on this album. If there isn't, I think, I think it's because, on record, Jason Isbell is a little too serious. I think if he toned it back a little bit, but what if he's you know, had his name a with one L again, like Jason Isbell with one L, and it's like that's all the comedy stuff he needs to get out of the way. Yeah, kind of like well, kind of like how Dirk Bentley has a fake cover band. <laughs> Let's not even fucking talk about that one. Okay, so. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm the, uh, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. How dare you link <laughs> me to their first, first single? It's fine. It's fine. It's fucking. I great. enjoyed it's it. Fine. It's yeah, it whatever. Is. It's fine. Like it's just. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so viscerally mad about that. I need to calm down, uh, like Taylor Swift says. <laughs> uh, whatever you gotta do to, uh, you know, make bring the peace to the Coda podcast. <laughs> exactly. It's whatever you gotta do. So uh, that's gonna do it for another episode of the Coda podcast. Uh, Brian, where can everybody find so us? People can uh, start by uh, electronic mail, right, at thecodacast at gmail.com. They can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Coda podcast. And before I forget, right, so this uh, this episode drops on January 31st. So go listen to Oh Boy right now. It's a phenomenal record. I've listened to it 10 times today. It's great. Go listen to Oh Boy. Go listen to The Unraveling. Go listen to new music. It's New Music Friday. Go listen to that after you listen to us. And Go buy your it. disturbed, stained, and bad wolves <laughs> tour tickets. <laughs> Go do it now. Go buy your tickets to do the short, short man of country <laughs> tour. We get to talk about that. That's the best part about this episode. <laughs> I know. We'll have to cut that out for now. But no, no, we'll no we're doing this. Thomas Rhett, Cole Swindell. The 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 bring a stepladder tour. The tiny men of country. The bring a stepladder tour. <laughs> the bring the bring a stepladder tour. It's coming to your town, folks. Get tickets now. Did but, we just shill for Live Nation? I think we just shilled for Live. I think we did shill for Live Nation. I think we should cut and our with, losses. Yeah, and with that, folks, don't forget to keep the cans on. <laughs>